From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. This is the final episode in our 2021 NP Week series on nurse practitioner leaders. I hope you have been as inspired as I have hearing from these NPs who make going the extra mile a daily part of their lives. In today's episode, we welcome a leader in NP development. She has a background as a trauma NP and is currently Senior Director of Advanced Practice at Atrium Health, where she uses her leadership position to provide career-building support to her NP colleagues and to bring the NP voice to system-wide decision-making. Please help me welcome Brittany Broyhill. Welcome to NP Pulse, Brittany. We're so excited to have you here today. Thanks so much, April. I'm really happy to be here and happy to be talking about NP leadership today. Yes, it's so exciting. Um, All through National Nurse Practitioner Week, we're going to be highlighting many different nurse practitioner leaders who are leading in new and innovative spaces. And I was just thrilled that you decided you would join us and share a little bit more about your experience as a leader in in advanced practice, but in healthcare. So Brittany, let's get started. And and, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? What made you decide to be a nurse? What made you decide to be a nurse practitioner? Sure. So I'm an adult acute care nurse practitioner. Um, I work in trauma and surgical critical care. Um, I've been an NP since 2000, since 2008, and really my journey um, got started as an undergrad um, who was on a pre-med track at Vanderbilt University. Okay. And um, I got involved in a, in a research project that was joint through the School of Nursing and the School of Medicine, and actually Meharry School of Medicine. And it was on um, breast cancer survivorship, physical function, marital partner relationship. And so I really got to, and a physical therapist was also involved. So I really got to see a multidisciplinary team working together. Um, And it started my sophomore year. So as I progressed and um, learned more about the profession of being a nurse practitioner and speaking to different mentors. I actually had a one-on-one with the physician lead who was a surgical oncologist at Vanderbilt. And he saw me huddling in the corner studying for my MCAT. Mm-hmm. And he asked me and gave me great advice. And I mean, it was really a pivotal moment in my career. He probably doesn't even know you that, that he played such a role, but he said, um, you know, I see you're studying for your MCAT. Are you st- you're still thinking about doing this crazy med school thing. Have you not thought or considered about considered a, a role as a nurse practitioner? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really made me start uh, thinking about it. Um, he was like, "It's not that we don't know that you can do it, but just know getting to know your personality over the last three years and what you really love uh, about this job and why you want to do it 
uh, aligns a lot closer to the nursing philosophy than, you know, what you're going to get in med school. So um, I went ahead and did all the things, um, Mm -hmm. but also applied to the School of Nursing at Vanderbilt. And when it came time to choose between the two, I had done my research and um, never looked back. And so grateful for the opportunity that the field of nursing has provided for me and um, and the professional leadership and development that so many leaders before me has given. So you had an aha moment like, oh, this is what I really want to do. That's that's wonderful. So tell me about what your practice um, is like as a nurse practitioner. What do you do? Sure. So I'm a lot more administrative now, um, although I do still get to take care of patients once a month. I still keep an active practice with trauma um, because it really fills my cup up and reminds me why I'm doing all the leadership and administrative work that I'm doing, which is not always glamorous and fun. Okay. Um, But previously, when I was a full time um, clinician as an acute care nurse practitioner, I started out as a hospitalist in a small community hospital, which was perfect for a first um, new grad position mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. out of NP school, and and then since I trained and did most of my clinical training at, at the School of Nursing between the SICU and the trauma ICU and the trauma team, that's really where my big passion and adrenaline comes from. So um, after about fourteen months or so, I went ahead and transitioned over to the Level One Trauma Center and fully dove in as a as a trauma NP. Um, so. A regular day of that is never a regular day. Uh, no, you, no. W- you wake up in the morning, not sure what's going to come in. Sometimes you're doing rounds and you get through rounds and there's nothing. And then sometimes at eight, starting at eight o'clock or rush hour, you know, you've got three or four traumas in the trauma bay and you haven't gotten through rounds until one or two. So we always keep a, a pack of crackers in our pocket or we're pulling out graham crackers out of the patient, um, <laughs> the patient <laughs> supply. Um, or, or trying to down some apple juice that might be lurking there um, because you might not get to sit down, you might not get to eat, um, but we love it and it's fun. And I think what I enjoy most about it is um, you get to see real time patient, you get to see patients get better in real time. So mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. able to give this drug or um, make this change and I see the numbers change. Then the Q2 hour lab comes back and it's better. Um, or, you know, it's so, it's so in real time. Um, and we get to care for not just the patient, but the family. And, you know, my doctoral project was actually on, um, surrogate decision-making and traumatic brain injury. And it was all about how do we help patients, families make decisions, um, when, when the patient may just look Mm -hmm. like they're sleeping and they don't understand what's going on inside their brain. So, um, that's a really cool thing about being a critical care NP is that not only can you sometimes get really good wins, even if it's not a win and a save, the fa- you can get a win and save in the family because right. that's an experience they're never going to forget. Um, so again, that's why I love being a nurse practitioner is that I get to do the cool stuff. I get to do the medicine and, and mm-hmm. the nursing and, and provide that care and make folks better. But I also get to do the holistic family um, support. And that's what makes nurse practitioners so unique and why we do what we do. Yeah, I love the fact that you said, and you never looked back. And when you describe your experiences in critical care, even though I'm, you know, a a state away and a different ICU, I relate so much, especially the peanut butter and crackers. I mean, that's what gets you through some of those long, long shifts. 
uh, because you really can't slow down. And um, so it being a trauma nurse practitioner is actually, it, it's not easy. So um, you round, you um, develop the plan of care, you coordinate a lot of different services for those patients, um, but you're also very engaged in procedures and make, uh, so tell us a little bit about that because trauma, I, lo- I love how you said trauma, you never know who's going to come in. It's not like you know that they've had a certain type of surgery. Uh, you've planned an elective surgery and now they're coming to the ICU after that elective surgery. These are people of all ages. They weren't planning to be in a traumatic accident. And and now all of a sudden their life has completely changed. The lives of their families have completely changed. And they come in um, to the trauma bay, as you describe. So tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah. So um, if any of my uh, colleagues at um, Atrium Health at CMC who helped orient me uh, are listening to this podcast, they'll probably get a little tick, a little giggle and surprise that I'm telling this. <laughs> but my first day off orientation. So what's great, again, about the service line that we've created um, within our team is that it's not the same, even within the trauma role, it's not the same thing every day. So some days you're on call and you kind of float around and help the ICU team or the floor team, but you're on call for all the patients that come through the trauma bay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're just in the ICU and then sometimes you're just on the floor. Um, and sometimes you're doing surgical critical care. So our acute, our surgeons are surgical critical care boarded, Providers. So sometimes we take care of the critically ill surgical patients that may not have had a trauma. So it's a really nice variety mm-hmm. um, of getting ready, getting to take care of all. But my first um, trauma activation or level one trauma after off of orientation, um, they saw it come across the page and knew I was on. And so a couple of the senior NPs started casually making their way down because they had heard it was a pretty bad one. And it turned out, and I remember that morning getting ready for work. I was like, please be easy ones. Like, please just let me know what to do. It was a gunshot wound to the head in which the the victim was driving. And then oh, because he, he was, you know, suffered the gunshot wound to the head, he um, front ended his car into a brick wall. So it was oh, an goodness. MVC. It was a gunshot wound with a blunt trauma in an MVC. Mm-hmm. So it was like a combination of both. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm so glad that my team, you know, meandered down and were also helpful because our role as a nurse practitioner in the trauma bay is to be the only voice in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so the attendings will stand at the foot of the bed and the nurse practitioners are actually the ones who do the full assessment. So my our voice is the only voice that's allowed in the bay. And mm-hmm. you just start from head to toe and doing our ATLS, you know, airway, breathing, circulation, and then head all the way down um, and make a decision whether we're going to the OR or we're going up to the ICU or we're going to the scanner. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a um, really intense process, but um, it's so fun. And that adrenaline is just really pumping. Um, And then to your point about procedures, every procedure under the sun, we might be intubating, we might be putting in chest tubes, we might be doing a peritoneal lavage, although those are less in vogue now, but that might help us make the decision of where the patient, triaging the patient where they need to be. Um, And then later on, tracheostomies, peg tube placements, um, we've done IVC filters, um, 
So really any surgical procedure, we're, we're first in line to be there. And a lot of us will do first assist and washouts and that sort of thing um, for ICU patients. And then depending on what role you are that day, that's that in the trauma bay and you're following them to the OR, you're following them to the CAT scan, you're following them up to the ICU and getting them checked in or you're critical care all day. And so you're rounding on all of your patients mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helping with vent settings and drips and any of the procedures that need to be done, coordinating with all the specialists, figuring out what's happening, why they're bleeding, why they've got a fever, all those things. So every patient's mm-hmm. a challenge. Um, we're also a quaternary referral center. So we get patients that have exceeded levels of care at any of the other facilities flown into us. And so um, then you have to review all the care that's happened before now and um, figure out how to move that patient forward. So again, that's why I've been so passionate about it and love it so much is that it's such a variety and it's um, so cool that when you wake up, you're not Mm -hmm. sure what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. And you're so talented and, and it takes, I mean, you're so knowledgeable about this patient population and the your team um, of nurse practitioners, but also the expanded team, the physicians, the surgeons, the nurses, respiratory therapists, the case managers, all of them look up to you. And I, it just says so much about your drive and certainly your energy that's already coming through um, on the podcast. You have lots of energy and it shows that you like the action and I can already visualize you in that room with all of those machines and the all the drips and everything going and that's just your element. You mentioned earlier though there's you know there's the there's the exciting side and and taking care and thinking fast and how can you really help get this patient back on track. Um and and many times the patients get better and they go on and it's just such a wonderful thing to see them getting better and being able to actually walk out um, of the hospital. But there's also the times when the patients don't do so well. And so you mentioned the the beauty of the nurse practitioner and our education and our training and really what really drove you to going into being a nurse practitioner, a big part of it was that interaction with the families because it it doesn't always go well. And, and, and the families are wondering like, what's happening? You know, this morning, everything was okay. Everybody was doing great, going to work or school or whatever. And now our lives are turned upside down. And, and you're telling me that w- my loved one may not be walking out. And you're talking to me about things like donor services and things like that. It's just, it's it's boggling, mind boggling. So tell us a little bit more about that side. Right. And that's exactly why I decided. I mean, I I remember one of our nursing professors, you might remember Professor Sweeney, but she always says we're Mm -hmm. a nurse first. (laughs) We're a nurse first. (laughs) That was her her motto. And it's so true because we are. And that's the that's the art and the beauty of our profession and what we bring into these scenarios, because you're right. Every care team member has a place um, and. the nurse practitioner is able to bridge that gap so beautifully Um, Mm -hmm. just given our experience and our knowledge we can speak both the physician and nurse lingo Mm -hmm. and and the time that we're afforded that sometimes the surgeons are not because they've got another OR they've got another trauma to sit down and really explain to that family 
what's happening in real terms. Um, and sometimes you have to do it two or three times because they're in so they're in such a shock, a state of shock mm-hmm. that they hear one word and then they shut off. Um, but that's why I was really passionate about pursuing my um, DMP project or my capstone project to be on how do we help these families make better decisions? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's so hard because again, uh, in brain injury, you can show somebody a CAT scan, but if they don't know what a CAT scan looks like, that's not going to be helpful. And so one of the interventions that um, myself and a, and a surgeon colleague um, worked on was showing a uh, image of, a, of an injured brain next to an image of a um, healthy brain of the same mm-hmm. decade of life. Mm-hmm. and really explaining what the injury was, what that part of the brain does, what we could potentially expect, and really spending a 45-minute usual session with questions from the family. And then I asked them what was most helpful, regardless of the outcome, if they decided to trach and peg and move on out of the ICU or if they withdrew care and they died in the ICU because these were severe brain injuries. Right. Um, at the time of discharge from the ICU, we asked them five questions. Some, uh, and the big one was, what was most helpful to you in making decisions? Was it the, the rounds, the family rounds that we do with the entire multidisciplinary care team? Was it looking at the CAT scan and that comparison? Was it um, time spent with the nurse practitioner? Um, or was it self-guided research or other? And so they had those choices. Mm-hmm. And guess what 100% of my participants said? Right. Time spent with a nurse practitioner. Uh-huh. And that's, that, mm-hmm. you know, that's the good stuff. And that's why mm-hmm. we do what we do. So it doesn't always go good. And it doesn't always go well. And we don't always get saves. When we do, it's great. But when mm-hmm. we don't, um, we've still made an impact on the family in the way that that experience happened. So it's really beautiful to be able to be with a family at a time like that and really help to shape that time and make that memory um, to the best it can be um, where they're learning more about what the situation, what's happening. And really that knowledge sometimes can allay anxiety, um, but it also helps to you know kind of get on track and, and make some of those hard decisions. So you know, Brittany, you in, uh, mentioned earlier, so I know we were talking about your work as a nurse practitioner, but you do a lot more now. So you have your clinical practice, but now you've kind of expanded beyond that. And so you mentioned where you work now. So Atrium Health. Tell us a little bit about that work environment. What What is Atrium Health and what do you do now with this um, in this health system? Sure. So Atrium Health, uh, headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, now expanded um, to an integration with Wake Forest and Winston-Salem, as well as practices in South Carolina and um, two other uh, healthcare systems in northern Georgia, Floyd and Navison, are now Atrium Health, Navison, Floyd. So now we have practices from Virginia to Alabama Mm -hmm. um, and, again, headquartered out of Charlotte. My role um, has evolved over time. So I started my leadership journey really by just raising my hand. And I had a really great 
um, nurse practitioner mentor who I saw all the fun things he was doing and it was interesting to me and I asked him well, how'd you get invited to go do that or um, how'd you get involved and he said I just raised mm-hmm. my hand and sometimes I just showed up and I was the only NP voice in the room and so then they realized that we have some really good thoughts and ideas and I just got added to the added to the meeting or to the planner um, go figure and so <laughs> exactly. And so, um, yeah, so I started my my leadership journey in 2013 as formally as the nurse practitioner fellowship director at Atrium Health. So myself and a PA colleague and then my original nurse practitioner um, mentor really led the development of the Center for Advanced Practice and the Nurse Practitioner PA Fellowship Program. We grew it to the largest, um, most um, diverse in specialty fellowship program in the country for nurse practitioners and PAs. We've had over 260 graduates at this point. Wow. Over 300 are enrolled currently, or three, three will be at 300 once the ones that are currently enrolled. We have about 40 fellows per year at this point. We had up to 70 when we had that workforce demand um, in 22 different specialties. So um, that was my first leadership role, and, and it actually started again, like I said, just raising my hand when I had heard that this was proposed and um, got involved sometimes in those after-hours meetings that mm-hmm. you know, you're doing in addition, and I got asked to write the surgical critical care curriculum for the fellowship. Okay. And so then advanced into NP fellowship director when we finally got approval and, and launched the thing. Um, subsequently, I learned a lot about onboarding, about um, the leaders, learning about just the system and how, th- how things could be improved. And I think it gave me a unique perspective because I was training across all these different specialties and all these different service lines. And I could see where things were falling through the cracks. And um, certainly DNP training at that time was really helpful to, to learn some of the microsystem analyses process right. and all those things um, really came to, came to light for, I'm so grateful I had that skill set. And so I got asked to lead the APP committee for the medical group okay. because, again, I was the person who was sending the email saying, does this really make sense? Or I noticed that these folks are doing it this way. Why are we also doing it that way somewhere else? And you just start asking the questions. And um, as, the, as the chair of the APP committee, the first thing that I got asked to do was to um, roll out a employment agreement for all of our APPs. So not an easy task. Um, but was a test, maybe not a test, but uh, not a formal test, but I think they were seeing how um, we could perform as APP leaders to our peers. And so we rolled that out, went into a a new compensation redesign, and then the next thing you know, um, I was asked to be Senior Director of Advanced Practice reporting to the Chief Physician. Um, So it it seems like that was a fast journey, but it was a lot of little steps in between and a lot of mentorship, a lot of reaching out to different leaders from across the country, forming a network. Mm-hmm. Um, April, mm-hmm. you've been a great mentor and network with your previous role. Um, and, and it's just been fun to be a part of. And it continues to expand and grow. And so we're growing new APP leaders across our, our, our network and our organization. Um, and it's just a really exciting thing to see. I think when you and I started our leadership positions way back in 2013 and 2014, there was just a handful 
mm-hmm. of APP leaders across the country, and we really hadn't um, we hadn't gotten the buy-in for these types of roles that we needed um, in a lot of institutions and organizations. And now it, I look across, and I'm just so proud to see what's happening. I know. I mean, back when we started, there was to have a, a an advanced practice director was uh, really rare. And so now I think a lot of people just think that's commonplace. And it took a lot to um, make the proposal that you really do need an advanced practice leader for an advanced practice cohort. And um, so if you are, um, you know, over nurse practitioners or, or midwives or those programs, it really needs to be someone who understands um, that actual role. And um, for whatever reason, it took a long time to really move that forward. But now it's pretty common uh, for health systems to have directors, vice presidents of advanced practice, chief nursing officers for advanced practice, chief advanced practice officers, et cetera. And, and like what you are, the executive um, director for advanced practice there, how many, um, how many advanced practice, the whole group, nurse practitioners, PAs, midwives, nurse anesthetists, how many are there at Atrium Health? For the entire enterprise, we're up to 2,800. Oh my goodness, that's a, that is such a large program. And you've been so instrumental and um, I, it has been a journey and, and I've been very fortunate to be traveling along this journey with you and we've been able to touch bases along the way and talk about different strategies about orientation, onboarding, credentialing, privileging, all that stuff, OPPE, all of that stuff. Um, we've really supported one another throughout. But Brittany, one thing um, that I'd like to stop and talk a little bit more about is that you did it, it, it was asking questions. I think that was great. You were asking questions. You were showing up. You were saying, I'm a stakeholder. You know, my voice needs to be heard. I got that. But it was also relationship building because whenever I talk to anyone, physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, other uh, advanced practice leaders, chief nursing officers, and we talk about you, they speak so highly of you. So, so you developed relationships along the way. Um, you, you didn't just come in and kind of boil over and say, this is how we're going to do it. Um, but you developed relationships and people really respect you and they respect your voice and they're asking you to come to the table. And now you're speaking not only to advanced practice, but you're speaking to the organization and the running of the entire um, health system, which is just really fantastic. And the reason I say that is we can't go really a day anymore without mentioning the pandemic. And so one thing that we've realized is that nurse practitioners have been right there at the on the front lines, right along with everyone else. They've been innovating and stepping up over and over and over again to help in all of the different arenas. So tell us a little bit about that, because you are part of that leadership team there at Atrium Health. There's huge, tons of hospitals, tons of clinics. And so you're part of all of that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And you're exactly right. Relationship building was a huge, vital point. I mean, healthcare is a team sport and Mm -hmm. leadership is a team sport in healthcare, therefore. And so if you don't have a team, um, you can't get much, can't, can't get much, um, traction forward. So I'm really grateful for those relationships. But I'm also grateful for all the nurse practitioner leaders 
that went before us um, mm-hmm. that showed up and maybe didn't um, get any traction. But there's been a whole host of great nurse practitioner innovators and thought leaders um, before us that have paved the way that mm-hmm. has made it to where it's more commonplace. So um, I appreciate that. And, and again, we can't underscore um, the relationships, both internal to the organization, but external um, and how important that is in the leadership journey. Standing on the shoulders of giants. That's truly never forgetting our history. That's right. So as far as the pandemic goes, you're right. I've been so proud of um, our entire advanced practice workforce from CRNAs that had to stop OR cases and go in and, and, you know, work IV pumps in the ICU to deal with the surge and not do the normal anesthesia thing um, to nurse practitioners who may have been in an outpatient setting and hasn't worked inpatient since, you know, for five years as a nurse mm-hmm. that would email me and say, hey, I, I'm willing to go in and work. Um, this was my my old unit and I want to raise my hand. I haven't been there in 10 years. And so it's probably not the same people, but I want to go help. Um, and, um, so I've just been so proud of that. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think that it's going to really behoove us as we move forward in a lot of our, our initiatives and, and strategy, as well as, um, pushing towards full practice authority, because we did, we were um, suddenly the invisible workforce was not so invisible because they right, were really right. relying on us in a lot of different ways. And we were much more flexible than most other healthcare um, um, healthcare colleagues because we had the skill set. So mm-hmm. my role in all this was really focused around provider deployment. Um, mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to partner with um, really one of our physician leaders in acute, in the acute care space, because we thought that's really where the urgent need was going to be. And it did um, end up being there as well as our urgent cares. But we did a we created an entire assessment and playbook on how we were going to redeploy providers. And we did it quickly. And in fact, worked, I think what was so cool about the pandemic too, as a leader is that you're used to working with your usual team and medical group Mm -hmm. operations. And it was like, all bets were off. I was building platforms with the IAS person. He would say, hey, how do you want this to look? He would go back and code it. And then we get back together two hours later and see, is this functionality working? And then we would do something and code it differently. And, um, it was just meeting people I'd never met before from HR analytics. And we were just really um, reaching parts of the organization that I had never met before. didn't even know they existed. Um, And everybody was just leaning in about how do we get providers to the patients, whether that was nurses, uh, obviously my part was physicians and APPs. How do we assess their skill sets quickly? Um, Mm -hmm. And we built an entire platform where they put in their skill sets, um, they put in their availability, and then I would get on the very last resort so that everybody had tapped their own internal benches, what the requests were for the shifts. And at 3 p.m. every day, I would run that list against what was input from the providers and then shoot it back out to the specialist and say, here's your person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's this huge coordinated event. And um, it was just, it, it was, it was scary at the time. I described it as my boss that I felt like we were in one of those big military planes flying to battle. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And we were getting ready to drop in, and it was at night, and we just didn't know what was coming. We had heard numbers, but all the projections, but we didn't know. Um, And it's just been so unpredictable. But it's been fun. It's been a challenge as a leader. It's been a challenge as a provider. I've been proud as a nurse practitioner professional about the way that our colleagues just ran into the, you know, ran into the pandemic um, head first, and there wasn't anything that we couldn't ask them to do. And Mm -hmm. to tell you the number of emails that I received from frontline nurse practitioners who would raise their hand, same thing for CRNAs to say, I'll go work as a bedside nurse. I know we're having staffing issues or put me in hospital at home or, you know, I've worked at my clinic all week, but on the weekends, I'm willing to do, you know, virtual urgent care so that I can triage some of these patients and keep them out of the urgent care because my colleagues are drowning. I mean, mm-hmm. really inspirational and, and a, a moment in leadership we'll never forget. Well, it says a lot about you as a leader and the fact that you can work across so many areas. And, and as you were describing your work with the pandemic and the team, the the incident command team, um, it, a lot of your trauma nurse practitioner that that being the voice in the room started coming out. And so it was like a code on a large, large scale. And you really coordinated a lot of work really quickly to be able to provide care um, when the volume was rolling in and in a situation where we really were learning so much each and every day um, about the pandemic. Well, I feel like I could. We actually coordinated a mega code, too. As I got everything set up, I wanted to make sure that the information would flow correctly from all of our different facilities. Mm -hmm. And so I um, worked with my HR colleagues who were helping me behind the scenes as the clerical team. And we created scenarios of like disaster patient you know, staffing ratios and what they needed for each of the facilities. And then I had those point people submit those as if they were real requests and concerns from the very beginning all the way through the process. And so we told them all it was a drill, but it was it was like a real mega code scenario. So we got to test it before it went live. And I'm grateful that we built it. It was a, it was a scary mega code situation, but I was thinking back to all my ATLS training and ACLS mm-hmm. training and all of that. Um, I, I totally relied on. So you're right. Um, the confidence that we have as providers really can translate into our ability to lead. And yep. I think yep. that once you're a seasoned nurse practitioner, you're a leader just by being a nurse practitioner, you're leading a team, you're leading a patient, you're leading families. And so never be scared or question your ability to, to lead, to step up and lead because you're already doing it every day. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, we really are poised to do all these things well. And I think we've had a lot of colleagues um, who have, have done that through the pandemic and have led big initiatives just like that. Uh, well, and that's exactly, I think, the beauty of this conversation is learning a little bit more about you and, and your journey and how you've gotten to where you are today. I feel like we could talk all day long, Brittany, because you have so much skill um, in the executive um, healthcare system leadership space that you've developed throughout the year. Certainly, you had the formal education through your doctoral um, program, but it's, it comes out and, and still you're so, you're so humble about it. Cause you could say a lot more, 
um, in terms of the skill and the development. And also, we hadn't really talked much about how you've developed other leaders and and nurse practitioners that want to be like you and and do um, beyond their clinical practice. They want to step into the leadership space and um, in terms of executive leadership within a health system. And you've started to help them um, get their traction. And and now you have many advanced practice leaders who are all fantastic. And I agree with you. Every nurse practitioner is a leader each and every day. But you are just a shining example of someone who's just stood up. You've been courageous and you've gone out there and you've led in a very new and innovative way. And lots of publications out there. You've got lots of presentations. And I wish we could talk uh, for hours because your story is so inspiring. So we'll have to wrap up. All the good things come to an end. But Brittany, happy Nurse Practitioner Week. It is just happy Nurse Practitioner Week to you. And happy Nurse Practitioner Week to all of our listeners out there today. Remember, you are doing so much in healthcare and you're representing our profession so well. Take some time this week to do something for yourself and implement a little self-care in your life and pat yourself on the back because we are so proud of you and so proud to be able to link arms. I'm proud to link arms with Brittany and all of the nurse practitioners across the country and across the globe. We're doing great things. So thank you. Bye. Thank you, Brittany. AANP's 2021 NP Week membership discount ends on Sunday, November 13th. Don't miss out on an opportunity to join your national NP association and save $21 on an NP membership to AANP. Simply visit aanp.org to join and use the discount code listed in this episode's description. This week, the world celebrates you and the incredible work you do going the extra mile each and every day. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) 